1: And now, from beyond our dimension, this is the Jeff Mara Podcast. Here's Jeff. My guest is Dr. Anoop Kumar, who is a board certified emergency room physician who saw that many patients in the ER didn't believe healing was possible, even if many others had healed from the very same diagnosis. He started Health Revolution to share the stories and expertise of people who have found their own path to healing, as well as to disseminate the deep knowledge of healing latent in many cultures around the world. This is delivered through the Healing is Possible podcast, which debuted on May 7th on YouTube, Spotify, and Apple podcast. Dr. Kumara, welcome back and thanks for joining me today.
0: Thanks so much, Jeff, and thanks for giving me this opportunity to share about the Healing is Possible podcast.
1: So last time you were here, we talked about your spiritual awakening, and now you've started this podcast on healing. What prompted you to do this?
0: Well, I've been an ER doc for almost 15 years, 15 years now, and we see it all every day, right? We see the big things like strokes and heart attacks, and we see all the underlying factors that lead to these, whether it's hypertension, diabetes, you know, chronic pain, anxiety, so many diagnosis after diagnosis. And you know what? Most people in the ER don't know that people have healed from pretty much every single one of these diagnoses. People have healed, meaning that they don't have symptoms anymore. They're not on medications anymore. They feel great. And it's been years since they last were given this diagnosis or had to deal with this diagnosis. So I'm not talking about people who are ignoring their symptoms. I'm talking about people who have actually healed from these. And guess what? The textbooks say you're not supposed to, right? So what does that tell us? That tells us that there are mechanisms of healing that are happening that don't follow our assumptions about human anatomy and human physiology and human pathology right? We have to share these stories. We absolutely have to share these stories because when we do not share these stories, which is what's happening today, right? People are healing from cancer, from severe heart disease, from rheumatoid arthritis, from asthma, from ulcerative colitis, from Crohn's disease, from demyelinating polyneuropathy, stuff apparently we're not supposed to heal from, but it's happening over and over. And when that happens, when we don't talk about it, when we don't write it up in our medical journals, guess what? Guess what What we're doing is sharing a kind of false prognosis, right? Because we're saying this is the diagnosis and here's the associated prognosis. Well, how do you know what the prognosis could be if we're not writing up all the other cases? And if we're not writing it up, we're not looking into what are the possible mechanisms for healing, right? So it's a travesty, frankly, and I, I think it's wrong to not share this information with my patients and with the people in the world who could become my patients, who I don't want to become my patients. It doesn't have to happen. And so that's why we're sharing these stories on the Healing is Possible podcast.
1: So what I think may be happening is that a lot of this healing is due to the mind-body connection and is the number one factor that's helping these people heal these diagnoses, the belief that they can so,
0: so yes, the, the belief that it is possible, the awareness that it is possible is critical, right? We've all heard of the placebo effect where we, you know, we trust the person in front of us, we hear it's possible and maybe we get a pill and we, and we think the pills are solutions and, or we get a surgery and we start to feel better, right? But they've done studies to show that, well, the pill didn't actually contain the active ingredient, the surgery was just a sham surgery. We just made an incision in the skin, but no deeper operation was done, right? And we know that people feel better after that, right? And we call that the placebo effect. Well, the opposite of that is the nocebo effect, right? When you don't know it's possible, where you think everybody gets this and everybody dies from this, where you think um, that no matter what we do, it cannot happen, right? So. When, when that is the case, then you simply don't know it's possible. So that's that critical mind-body connection. Now, in terms of how we heal, there are four major engines. It's nutrition, movement, connection, and rest. And, and we can get into those more in detail later. But the critical aspect right at the, the outset is the awareness in the mind. I don't want to just call it belief because sometimes people say, oh, it's just a belief, there's no evidence. No, it's awareness and knowledge in the mind That this happens and healing is possible because so many people have done it.
1: What about can a person just kind of physically will themselves or think themselves to heal themselves? Like, okay, I have multiple sclerosis or whatever, and I'm just gonna, you know, I'm gonna visualize my body healing every day until it does.
0: There are certainly people who have done just that with many diagnoses who have willed it. I want to be careful, though, and I don't want to say that we can just will our diagnoses away, right? So will is one aspect of it, and there are so many other things, right? There, There's the food we eat, there's the company we keep, there's the information we consume, there are the actions that we take, maybe exercise. There's so many things along with will that can do that. Now, When we visualize, obviously, visualization is a kind of action, right? It's a subtle action. It's a mental action. And so I think that's why it's powerful. One of our hypotheses, one of our theories, in fact, is what we call mind-body flow theory, where the mind flows as the body, right? So we're getting rid of this unexamined idea that the mind is one thing and the body is another thing, right? The mind is like the water and body is like ice, When that water takes a particular pattern and freezes in place, that's what we call the body. Right. So, that mind body connection, it's not just a connection, it's one and the same continuity. And so, from that perspective, yes, when we know something is possible, when we visualize that, when we're acting on that, then yes, healing is possible. But that doesn't mean it's going to happen all the time or for everyone or in the same way. So we have to hold that level of subtlety where we say, yes, this is possible. And here are all the steps. And let's see what healing means for this particular person. It's, it's a journey of discovery.
1: So are you saying that if a patient just met another patient who was healed from a certain diagnosis and now they have the awareness that it is possible, this, it has been done, this person has done it, just that knowingness alone can potentially heal them too.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Knowing something is possible begins the healing process, you know, and, and healing to me is not only cure, right? I I say that healing can include cure and doesn't have to be cure. Healing can include treatment and doesn't have to include treatment. Healing to me, Is a much deeper, more comprehensive experience of who we are, what we are, and what we're doing right now. You know, what is our journey? What is our path? And when we open into that space, possibilities happen. From a biological perspective, we know that when we gain that little bit of space, right, and and when we can set all of the noise aside, we know that we enter into this restful state. We know that that's a parasympathetic state right? We know it's it's similar to sleep, which is what? Restoration, right? What does the body do during sleep? The body's incredibly active during sleep. The limbs may not be moving, but the immune system is active. The digestive system is active. That that resting, that assimilation and that restoration is happening during sleep, which is the parasympathetic state. And that same state can be accessed in our day-to-day lives, even as we are awake. And so, yes, that simply that awareness that, what? He, she, they, this, that person, all of these people have healed from the same thing. Why have I never heard this before? Oh, this is possible. We can enter into that state. That's just one example of how there is a real connection. And I would even say absolute continuity between mind and body.
1: Do you think there are massive amounts of people who have healed that are not being reported?
0: I absolutely do. Um, what does massive mean? What's the actual number? You know, I can tell you that we had this idea and started this podcast a few months ago and I did 18 interviews. I mean, I got them lined up within two months of people have healed from all kinds of stuff who are just aching to tell their story, right? It's, it's almost like people don't want to hear it. (laughs) They're just aching to tell their story. And that's, these are people who are online, who are responding to email quickly, you know, who, who are, Courageous, who are willing to be in the public sphere, right? Which is not necessarily most people. And so the vast majority of people who have had similar experiences are just out there, you know, in public, walking around. Their friends know, their families know, but the public doesn't know about them. You know, um, I'm reminded of Emily, one of the people I interviewed who had rheumatoid arthritis. I would say she was given a diagnosis of rheumatoid arthritis. And her fingers started to swell and she started to have a lot of pain. And she told this very touching story of how even her daughter couldn't hug her because she was in so much pain when, when she would come and touch her body, she was in that level of pain and she was put on immunosuppressants and uh, steroids and all kinds of medication. And eventually she did the work, the experimentation of looking at her food and looking at emotions, that had been, that she, in her words, were trapped within her over the years, right? And as she started to release this and discover connections between her emotions and her experience, guess what? The hand swelling went away. The pain went away. She eventually stopped her medication. And she went back to her rheumatologist and said, look, you know, and the rheumatologist said, "Um, well, you know, I don't think you had rheumatoid arthritis to begin with. So it becomes this thing where like, if you heal from it, you're not supposed to, therefore you never had the disease, right? And she went back and, and did the test. And of course, you know, she said, well, went back and reviewed the records. It looks like it. The tests were positive then. Um, but guess what? Was Emily's uh, case story in a medical journal? Nope, it was not. Jacqueline had Crohn's disease for 20 plus years, right? And it, it's abdominal pain, bloating, um, infections in the abdomen, Uh, scarring in the intestines, and therefore it causes bowel obstructions because the bowel can't move. It twists on itself, all kinds of things. 20 plus years, pain all the time. Eventually had to have surgery and have part of our bowel resected. Was trying all kinds of things, experimenting with all kinds of things, uh, food, everything. Finally decided to try something that many people consider strange called hypnosis. One 90-minute session and has not had a symptom in four years. Had a repeat colonoscopy. Her gastroenterologist said, there's no signs of disease. I would not believe this if you were not my patient. Was her case written up? It's not in a medical journal, right? I happened to catch these two people on the podcast, but how many people exist like this, right? And she made, in those 90 minutes, Jacqueline made a connection between her childhood experience with her family and her parents and her abdominal pain. And she realized that she didn't need this experience anymore, And the rest is history, right? So it happens all the time. I would agree with the word massive because I think it's an X. We don't know how many people are out there, but I'm sure it's in the hundreds of thousands of people who have healed from all kinds of conditions.
1: I like how you put it that our mind is water and our body is ice. It's like all one thing. And that to me is almost like saying that our body is kind of a, a reflection or a manifestation of our consciousness, anyways. And I was gonna ask while you were speaking, but I didn't want to interrupt you. That just looking at a person and seeing how they are visually, do you feel like that is just a reflection of who they are spiritually?
0: Yeah, I think the categories that we have created in society—what um, we call philosophy, science, religion, spirituality, uh, life hacking. We have created these categories in society. We have created these divisions, what we call body and what we call mind, right? The human system, the human architecture doesn't care about our our nomenclature, right? We can call this the body. We can call this spirit. We can call this mind. We can call it whatever we want. The system doesn't care. It does what it does. And by the way, no human in history has ever experienced something very distinct called a mind and then something very distinct called a body, with a clear line in between, right? You can't experience the body with the mind, without the mind rather, right? You need a mind for some kind of experience has to be there. Your eyes can be open, but you can totally miss what's happening if your intention isn't there. So every experience that we are happening is being represented through the mind. So we need to ask a fundamental question. Do we really need to believe that the body and mind are separate things? Right? we can appreciate that there's a different quality. Maybe the body is more apparent. Maybe it feels more solid, right? But we also know that when we dream, the character's body in the dream is absolutely physical in the dream, right? And all the scientists and philosophers in the dream, at least the scientists would agree that this body is physical, right? We can do all the studies we want or whatever we want to do. Ask all the professionals, they'll say, this is a physical body. And we all also know equally 100% that when we wake up from that dream, that that exact same physical body is now mental, right? It's a hundred percent physical in one state of consciousness. It's a hundred percent mental in another state of consciousness. It's one of the same body, but seen from different perspectives with different understanding. And I would say the same thing here, right? We can we can say that, yes, it can be useful to categorize a mind, to categorize a body. I don't have a problem with that. But when we fundamentally believe that these are different or these are not connected, or there's, you know, maybe there's some connection between these two. That's not enough. What I'm saying is there's an absolute continuity and non-difference between these two. And then we can describe certain qualities in different ways and call it a body and call it a mind.
1: I also liked how you were talking about the patient and, and you were talking about stored up emotions and when I was in practice as a chiropractor, we would ta- I would talk to people about stress sometimes. And I would say, if you just close your eyes and imagine a lemon, and just imagine taking a big bite out of that lemon, eventually at some point in your imagination, you're going to start salivating. And yeah. they would get that. So I said, well, imagine if you were worried all day long or angry all day long. That emotion, it's going to place itself in your body somewhere, and you're going to have symptoms due to that emotion.
0: Yeah. And emotions are so powerful. And, and that's why I think something like mind-body flow theory is so important. It's not just like, yeah, you know, it feels bad, but it's okay. I'll deal with it. No, if it feels bad, then it feels into the body and it presents as the body also, right? Why is it that when we feel happy, the corners of the mouth tend to go up, right? Why is it that when we feel we have low energy and don't really feel, feel like doing anything, the, the shoulders start to hunch, Right. Is anybody thinking about this? No, the mind is representing itself. It's physicalizing itself as what we call the body. And so when Jacqueline found out that her emotions were a big part of what's going on and, and, and what she would receive from her parents from, from being sick, right? The sense of being cared for and how she didn't need that feeling anymore. Guess what happened? The body changed its presentation. Right. Mm -hmm. And so Yes, absolutely. Emotions are such a key factor. In fact, I would say of the four engines of nutrition, movement, connection, and rest, that nutrition and connection are radically powerful, radically powerful. So nutrition is the food we eat and, and connection is you know our connection with ourselves, which means moving into our, like feeling our emotions and, and connecting with that deep, deeper aspect, um, but also connecting with, the planet, and we can talk about all those things, but these are incredibly powerful and such an essential aspect. I have to say it over and over again of recognizing that healing is possible is recognizing that we have an unexamined philosophical opinion in society and in medicine that says the body is one thing and the mind is another thing, and we don't really have to attend to the mind. It is an unexamined philosophical opinion. Please hear me on this. This is not science. This is an opinion that is unexamined because we do not have expertise in mind in medicine. That's not our forte. That's not what we study. There are encyclopedias on mind in all kinds of cultures. None of it is in medical school, right? So we need to look at that unexamined philosophical opinion. We need to declare it to be an unexamined opinion and then ask why we continue with this, why we persist with this. If you persist with that and you find the cures for everything and people are healthy and happy, I don't have a problem. But if you persist with that and you persistently cannot find cures to many diseases and people are on medications for their whole life, then that is at best unscientific. And at worst we are doing harm, which goes against our fundamental tenet of do not harm.
1: Do you think many modern doctors are taking the viewpoint that you're presenting here?
0: I think most doctors would agree with the idea that healing happens outside the medical context that we do not understand, right? Most doctors would agree with that. Most doctors would agree that we have a very narrow understanding of health and treatment most doctors would agree that we are too heavily reliant on pills and surgeries. But then to take the next step and to say that, what is the core issue then, right? Talking about mind body flow theory, talking about seeing the human being incompletely, talking about the importance of mind, that tends to not happen because we don't have expertise there, right? We're not doctors in that way. We're doctors in this way, so if I am no longer an expert in that, then that threatens my identity as a doctor. That threatens my salary. That threatens, you know, my my um, the prestige that I get in society, right, with being with a doctor. And so we're human, like everybody else, right? And and so that's there to kind of protect that identity. And that's how, now a lot of people are speaking up. We know there's a huge wellness movement, including in medicine. We've heard about lifestyle medicine. We've heard about integrative medicine. It is happening, but what is not happening is that it is not becoming number one, which is what it has to become. Nutrition, movement, connection, rest have to become number one. It has to be everywhere in healthcare. It has to be in our school systems. It has to be the first topic of conversation. I mean, once, Allowing for rapport, of course, but it has to be the first, like almost formal aspect of the conversation that has to be included. How are we doing on these four? Right? We doctors have to be advocating for partnerships with grocery stores, with food delivery apps to make sure that people are, have access to this too. I can talk about this all day long, but if you have a food desert, or if all the good food costs three times as much as the canned food and the fries, well, guess what? We're going to continue to have heart disease which let me insert another story, if I may. Mm. Jimmy, also known as Dr. Jimmy Conway, an orthopedic surgeon in Oklahoma City, woke up with left arm pain, soon diagnosed with heart disease. Before he knew it, he woke up after his angiogram and his friend from medical school, a cardiothoracic surgeon was standing over him. And he said, this is not good. He knew that wasn't good. said, you need bypass surgery or else, right? not, not threatening him, but just saying, I've seen what I've seen and you need bypass surgery. You have that severe blockage. And long story short, he, you know, he had a day in between and he encountered upon a book by Dr. Caldwell Esselstyn called how to prevent and reverse heart disease, read it, switched to a plant-based diet immediately. um, And uh, including no oil, um, vegan, but Specifically, the biggest part is fresh plant-based foods, fresh fruits, fresh vegetables, fresh, 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 right? Um, His symptoms went away. He never needed surgery. Years later, he incorporated plant-based nutrition into his orthopedic practice and he got board certified in lifestyle medicine. Everything changed basically. Mm -hmm. But how many people wake up and hear that and never even know there's an option? right? It's not considered possible to just heal from heart disease. You need a stent. Apparently you need surgery. You need all the pills. No, there are other ways. However, that requires responsibility on the part of each person. It's not that, okay, I'm just going to stop everything today and and just, and just eat plants. No, it requires responsibility, a conversation with your physician, buy-in from your family, right? Like it's hard to do this alone. So it's real work and healing is possible.
1: From what I've read about it, I think it's amazing. If I was in that position, I would definitely do that.
0: And the other thing about that, Jeff, is that for people who do that and go plant-based, um, all the side effects are good, right? Unless you're specifically allergic to something, what is not shared in, in even amazing stories like um, like Jimmy Conway's or so many people who have healed from heart disease is there are other conditions who have, that have improved, Right, somebody with autoimmune disease and heart disease. Their autoimmune disease happens to get better by eighty percent, right? While they were trying to treat their heart disease, mm-hmm. right? Their their mental clarity goes up, increases tremendously. Their their anxiety or their depressed mood tremendously improves, right? So you have a situation where you have good side effects, right? We're always talking about adverse effect of medicine, and you get a side effect, and now you get another pill for the side effect, and it's like endless. But here. You go to the root cause, which is damaged endothelium, damaged wall of the blood vessel, which is accumulating plaque, and you start to heal that because you're taking away the stuff that is toxic to the endothelium. And guess what? Endothelium is everywhere in the body. It's not just the heart. The vessels are aligned with it. So there's so many other conditions that also start to improve.
1: Yeah. And I think that they've even shown that the plaque in the arteries has reduced or completely went away.
0: Oh, Yeah. Dr. Aslsten talks about that in his book, where he he did angiograms, where they would show it's blocked, and the intervention was plant based nutrition for some period of time. The person felt great, you know, the their symptoms went away, um, and so they did a repeat angiogram, and lo and behold, the blockage has significantly improved, which was not thought to be possible, right? Usually, you 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 plaster the plaque against the wall, which is angioplasty. Or, or you you create a detour around that with a tunnel, which is bypass surgery, right? But no, go in and clear out the plaque, right? Use the body's innate healing ability by removing that which is toxic and that which can open up the vessels.
1: What are your thoughts on um, Ayurvedic medicine?
0: Uh, so one of our interviews is with Dr. Raghavan, he's an Ayurvedic physician and he has some very strong and important opinions for a lot of people to hear. We haven't released that one yet, but it'll be coming up soon. But in short, you know, when you say an Ayurvedic physician, there are many kinds, right? So in his opinion, you can't learn Ayurveda in a few years in medical school, right? It's not that kind of, it's not that kind of art, right? Um, Allopathy also, you can't learn in a few years. You can learn the basics in a few years. And of course you need the apprenticeship, which we call residency and your own experience and you develop that. But even that is not enough for Ayurveda. And this is why allopathy is an objective based approach, right? So it's what I see, what I can understand, um, what I can push on, what I can feel, what I can listen to. That's That's where diagnosis and treatment comes from. Ayurveda essentially is not that. It has those aspects also, but it develops the inner vision, right? So Dr. Raghavan, the way he diagnoses people is what they call pulse diagnosis, where he, he feels the pulse and he will tell them things that we say from CAT scans. He'll And he'll tell them things that we cannot say from CAT scans. Like 19 years ago, this happened. And, you know, that's lodged in the mind and it is creating this effect. And this is the imbalance. And that's how Ayurveda approaches everything is balance versus imbalance. And so here's the imbalance. It's presenting as this symptom. Let's correct the underlying imbalance in the entire body-mind structure, right? It's not seen. The body is known to be constructed from subtle elements. Or we can say, we can use the another word, mind. We know that the mind is what constitutes the body. Mind-body flow theory is inherent in Ayurveda, though it's not called that, right? And so Dr. Raghavan takes cases, only cases that cannot be cured by other means. That's his practice. That's his clinic. And so I spoke with him. I also spoke with one of his patients whose name is Renoy. Uh, Renoy had chronic demyelinating inflammatory polyneuropathy, right? Basically the lining, the covering around the nerves that transmit electrical signals is going bad. It's injured. And so the nerve signals cannot conduct. And so sensation starts to go and motor starts to go and the person gets paralyzed, right? So he, as for a lot of what we call autoimmune diseases, steroids, prednisone, immunosuppressants, everything, he had some improvement and eventually it got worse. He used to play a lot of sports, um, was not able to do that eventually had a very hard time moving around. What's interesting about him is that his wife is an allopathic physician. She was an ENT surgeon and they had tried everything. It wasn't working. And, you know, they said, well, maybe Ayurveda, they live in India and they live in Kerala in South India, where it's like the home of Ayurveda. So they both knew about it, but um, she was reluctant um, and her father was also a physician. So they come from that kind of line of thinking. And ultimately they were like, you know, what have we got to lose? This isn't working. He's getting worse, you know? So they tried this and Dr. Raghavan said, okay, we're going to stop all your immunosuppressants and, and let's see. And of course he stopped. And of course, Renoy got worse, right? Because his body was used to that, got worse, eventually got completely paralyzed pretty much and was in a bed bedridden. And his wife is thinking, what the hell did we do? Why did I ever do this? This is insane. And she's probably getting it from her from her family, and everybody's like, "You're crazy," and you know. And the whole time, Doctor Douglas is like, "Just wait, just wait." They keep giving treatments based on mind body flow theory, adjust the subtle imbalance, and the body will reflect that. Um, and after a period of time, guess what? He's slowly started to get sensation in his hands, then some movement, and today he's playing cricket again, no symptoms at all, no immunosuppressants, yeah. and they're they're both just. They're basically like this guy, you know, he's he's like God to them, you know, that he's, they're like, they have, and in fact, Dr. Manju has now helped and to start with Dr. Dagoban's practice, right? The, the ENT surgeon is now helping with the IV. So there are a lot of things in this story that are scary, right? It's scary to stop immunosuppressants. It's scary to be paralyzed when before at least you were moving a little bit. And the question that a lot of people will have is like, number one, like, how do you know? That's, that's scary. How do you, this happened to be the right person. But Dr. Lagovan says also, he started training by the way at age nine in Ayurveda used to a very, you know, distinct process. He used to go all around India, incognito helping people. That's part of the kind of the training. And he has a very unique, most people are not like that. No matter, no matter what field you're in, you're not training at age nine and honing your craft still at age 70 to 80, you know? So who do you trust? Who is good? You know, when somebody says, do X, do you do that? There are no easy answers to this. I want to be clear about that. There are no easy answers. I'm not saying, you know, quit what you're doing and jump and and do what some um, wellness provider says. No, that's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is, if we don't tell these stories, that's even worse. Because we're basically shutting the door forever to anything being possible right? We need to tell these stories and then go and investigate how did they do this? What is their understanding, right? These aren't, these people aren't saying it's magic. Dr. Raghavan says, no, there's a distinct science to this. I can teach it to people, right? But you, you have to be open-minded. You have to go through that process. And so these stories show us that systems like Ayurveda, the systems like Chinese medicine, that all kinds of different systems to which mind is so important and fundamental, and in fact, more important than the body, at least in the sense that it is fundamental and represents itself through the body, is critical. So yes, Ayurveda has critical lessons for allopathy, and allopathy also has important knowledge and important know-how. But a true integrative medicine requires that we see at least the four engines of nutrition, movement, connection, and rest as well as mind-body-flow theory. If we do not have these two aspects, we do not have a true health care and healing system.
1: I feel that health is a lifestyle. It's not like a a pill or a supplement, but it's an entire lifestyle. You have to eat healthy. You have to exercise. You have to do all these things. Connection, like you said, it's just not a quick fix.
0: Yeah, it's... It's like you said, it's the way we live, right? And health is not a thing, right? Health is not something that I do. Health is not a separate aspect of life. Health is not something we attend to when something is wrong, right? Health is living. When we live, do we not eat? When we live, do we not move? You know, when we, when we're, if it's nice weather and we're out, aren't, aren't, don't we run around sometimes, right? When eh, aren't we resting, sleeping, aren't we connecting with others? Aren't we, you know, bare feet in the soil? Now we don't do all those things, but that's only because of societal conditioning, but these are all natural things. There's, there's nothing you have to add on be like, well, that's really different. There's nothing you have to buy, right? There's nothing, there's nothing, there's no program. There's no um, special place you have to go. No, these are aspects of our daily lives. And, you know, this ties in with so much like the socioeconomic environment is such a big part of this. How we have set up our cities, how we have set up our communities, right? Are we sitting all the time or are we moving, right? What kinds of foods are most readily available for us, right? Do we facilitate connection and relationships or do we facilitate cubicles and isolation? So health becomes a thing only when we do all of those other things that are unnatural and now health becomes a thing. So what we have to do is start looking at what we aim to do with health revolution is build this ecosystem for healing, where we say, look, it's nutrition, it's movement, it's connection and it's rest. And this is for everybody. If you're, if you're a business, if you're the owner of a business, you better look at these four. And look, if you have set up your business and your working environment and your hours in such a way that people can move with these four in alignment with these four because if you haven't you're making your employees sick. And if you want to look at it in a money sense your premiums will go up they'll be unhappy and so on and so forth. But you know just from a fundamental human perspective why not create an environment where employees are happy and enjoying their air environment, right? They're likely to even stick with the company more. So These four are so critical and it's important for everyone to just integrate them and, and recognize the importance in such a way that they can kind of change their life to be in alignment with these. And that requires socioeconomic change that requires hard conversations. Like the conversation I'm having in a healthcare context is a hard conversation, right? Here it's easier, open-minded, open-minded audience. It's different, but um, I have conversations like this with physicians, but they're always in private. Physicians are very unlikely to speak about this publicly because of what I mentioned before, right? So yes, health is not a thing. It is simply a way of living.
1: What do you think about people who are born with genetic disorders like cerebral palsy where they didn't have time to develop some kind of mental cause of this? Do you think it's just purely a genetic accident Or do you think it's possible that they may even have some mental things left over from a previous life that's causing problems in this life?
0: Well, yes, I think when we get into things like genetic conditions and getting into conditions that are happening at birth, we cannot avoid crossing categories. And what I mean by that is we are now hardly in medical territory anymore. Right? At least when I was talking about before, if we're talking about a chronic condition that develops in this lifetime, we can say it's related to nutrition movement, connection, rest. And we can bring in mind body flow theory, even though it's 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 difficult or it's it's anathema to many professionals, you know, but at least we can say, look, here's a philosoph- philosophical position, here's the evidence for it. We can consider it, and we can see improvements happening as a result of it, right. So that's still somehow in the purview of medicine, we can say. But when we're talking about things happening at birth, you're literally asking the question, what happened before birth, right? And I'm not talking about gestation. I'm not not talking about in the womb. What happened before conception, right? And that is fundamentally for now, not a medical question. And for that, we go back to the three minds framework. I don't know if we talked about that in our last conversation, but um, essentially the idea here is that the body is, a representation of the mind as mind body flow theory says, but also that the mind represents itself in many ways. And one lifetime is not a whole story. One lifetime is a chapter in a book. And so tendencies from other experiences are carried over and come into one lifetime and no differently, by the way, than within a lifetime, people have different chapters, right? People say, well, the last 10 years of my life, you know, that was a doozy. Right or man, the last couple years have been the greatest of my life. Right, that's a chapter. That's a chapter in a longer story. And just like that, a lifetime is also a chapter. And there are um, people that are doing um, that are having conversations, um, psychotherapy, using this principle that one lifetime is a chapter and what they're finding is that people that are having severe symptoms of whether it's being anxious or being, uh, being um, inexplicably afraid of something, right. Uh, Unable to complete something that they really want to complete, but just are gripped by fear. For example, you know, I'm just giving some examples and when they, when they do this kind of exploration, they find people describing themselves living in other times, living in other environments, living with different bodies, And coming across some kind of situation that seems to tie in with what they're feeling now. And when they resolve what's happening with that character, with that body in that time, guess what happens in this lifetime? This experience goes away and they start to move forward. Right? So yes. So there, there's much more to the story than just one chapter.
1: I had a guest on before that is a past life regressionist (laughs) hypnotherapist and he told me during our time together that he's not even sure this is real or not, you know, when people start describing these past lives. But the most important thing is the problems that they present with are are healing and they're getting better if not being cured in this lifetime.
0: Yeah. And, and Jeff, what is real exactly? Mm-hmm. and And who is the authority on what is real? Right. So we say this person is having a hallucination, meaning what? they see something and i don't right is my seeing fundamentally more authoritative than another person's seeing i don't think so i think that there are we can talk about usefulness right is this way that i'm seeing or this object or person or thing that i'm seeing or perceiving is is this way of relating to the world useful for me is it helping me is it causing me suffering these are relevant and important questions is it real I mean, what does that even mean? You know, when that and that's for hallucinations, we know now from neuroscience that the world we perceive here is co-constructed. That's where we are. I think it goes much further than that when we get into the three minds framework, but at least there we have reached that the world we are perceiving is co-constructed, right? What what everybody's seeing right now as they see this body is photons reflected. Striking your retina, absorbed by the retina, converted to an action potential, an electrical current that goes to the brain, no image, it's an electrical current that goes to the brain, it goes to the occipital cortex, the occipital cortex then decodes the electrical current, and somehow, magically, an image appears, Hmm. right? What is that decoding program? Where does the image come from? From ions that are fluxing as action potentials? Where does the picture of Anoop's face come from?
1: Yeah
0: right? where that, So there is a co-construction happening even for what we call reality. So I, I think we need to kind of go beyond what is real and not real and ask, what is useful?
1: Do you think the mind-body flow theory, I hope I'm saying that right, is the most yes. important thing
0: for health? I think to start with, it's the four engines, nutrition, movement, connection, and rest. And we have to understand that these apply... Across the body and mind. Let me just talk about that for a moment. So when we talk about nutrition, it's nutrition for the body, plant-based nutrition for the body. For the mind, nutrition is conversations like this. What is the information that we are taking in? Right? What are the options that we are considering? Right? For the environment, It's an environment that works for you. It's an environment that makes you feel good environment where your skin can breathe, right? This, this is the nutrition for the body, the environment, the mind movement is of course, moving the body, moving every aspect of the body, moving the tiny joints that we usually don't move, right? Because from the perspective of mind, body flow theory, that body, that joint is a representation of a mental movement and the more flexibility we have, the more motion we have, the more the mind is flowing rather than being stagnant, right? But movement is also a movement of our creativity. Are we expressing our ideas? Are we saying what we think? Right? Are we, are we drawing? Are we singing? Are we dancing? Are we are we making videos? Are we editing? Whatever it is, are we moving our creativity? Are we moving our emotions? Right. Have we gone beyond just don't cry, you know, shut it down? Have we, have we, has that been explored? Is that coming out? Is that flowing again? Or is it still ice, you know, from decades ago or even further back, right? That's movement. Connection is threefold, connecting with others, right? That relational aspect, connecting with oneself, which is endless, right? Connecting with one's own sense of identity, connecting with who we are, what our purpose is, you know, why we're here, what we're doing, connecting with oneself. And the third one is connecting with the planet, which is feet directly in the soil, feet in the ocean, fresh air on the skin, fresh air in the lungs, sun on the skin, direct contact, direct connection with the planet, which is so overlooked. These are the three aspects of connection and rest, of course, sleep, but also at a deeper level, knowing how to set the mind aside, right? Even when we're awake, that, okay, well, now's a nice time. I feel nice and restful. I'm going to sit here for a few minutes, a few moments, and knowing how to just be and rest, without it having to be meditation or it having to be this or it having to be wellness. You know what I mean? That simple ability to rest. So these four engines, I have to say, Jeff, are number one. Nutrition, movement, connection, and rest. And it just so happens that as a person does all this, their own experience of mind-body flow theory will come to the forefront. They'll start to see that their body is changing as the mind is changing and the mind is changing as the body is changing. Because they're not two, it's not unidirectional, it's bidirectional. And so the four engines are number one, and they will invariably result in the experience and understanding of mind-body flow theory, especially once it's been made explicit as a possibility. Ultimately, for a healthcare system, for a society, both of these are critical.
1: All right, so you have this podcast, it's on YouTube, it's on Spotify and iTunes, what kind of content are you producing there? Is it, you know, more stories with or interviews with people who've had these medical and what you could call possibly miracles or are they you giving health tips or or medical philosophy or all of the above?
0: Yeah, it's, it's really all of the above. You know, what we call medical miracles are real in the sense that they happen, Right. Are there people who maybe make up stories or say, yeah, probably just like with everything. But the fact is these happen. Medical miracles happen, right? And by the way, we only call them miracles because we don't understand them. And that's why Health Revolution is here. And the Healing is Possible podcast is here. It's to take these events, these experiences out of the realm of the miraculous and make them standard right? Let's standardize miracles so that we're not like, wow, how did that happen? And we're like, yeah, that can happen. Yeah, that can happen too. Yeah, it's happened again. Yeah, it happened to me. You know, let's standardize this. So, so one of the things we do is these interviews where we show that what we call medical miracles are real. The other thing is we have um, healing philosophy, which is simply what is healing? You know, what is healing about? How does healing happen? Um, you know, is this false hope? That's another big question that comes up. Are we are we giving false hope? You know, we talked about the placebo and nocebo effect. Um, I think we're creating false fear by not talking about these stories, by by not having up to date prognoses, by not having a full understanding of healing. We're creating false fear, and we're creating the nocebo effect, where people are more likely to stay in a diseased condition. Right. So, no, I don't think it's false hope as long as we elucidate what we're saying. As long as we are talking about what healing is, what the pathways are, and know that everybody has their own journey. We don't know what will happen, but we know it is possible, right? So that's part of our healing philosophy series. And we're just, we're going to start creating shorts now. So we're soon going to have shorts that really give these nuggets, the core of these amazing stories.
1: I hope at some point you get a library so huge that you have almost every disease out there that is considered incurable. That someone shows that they beat it, you know, so that anybody that has a certain disease can go to your YouTube channel and say, Oh, well, you know, I had this disease and let me search it. Oh, and here's somebody who's actually survived it.
0: Yeah. Well, that's that's gonna be healthrevolution.org. You know, we have the initial version of the website up and and we're working on the next iteration where we are that library. And we show that it's possible and you can search by diagnosis and we can we can show exactly how people have done it and what are the pathways to healing. So exactly what you said, Jeff, it's happening.
1: That's great. After watching this podcast, people either may want to reach out to you to share their experience with you or to ask you questions. Are you open to um, communicating with these people? And if so, how should they reach you?
0: Absolutely. You can email us at healing at H E A L I N G, healing at healthrevolution.org. You can go to the website, healthrevolution.org, and there's a contact form at the bottom. Very simple way you can contact us, tell us about your story, tell us anything, whatever you want to share, because this is an open space. This is a healing space to build this community. So share what's on your mind. Um, And then um, on YouTube, you know, leave your comments. Check out the Healing is Possible podcast, check out the videos, leave your comments. What did you see? What did you learn? What do you want to know? What do you see as possible? You know, and let's build this community. We're all in this together and we're all learning from each other. So the learning that you have as the audience is immense. That is where the treasure is. You know, every person that I have on the podcast, I consider an expert. Uh, I'm not an expert in that sense, right? I have not healed from CDIP or from severe heart disease or these people have. They know how to do it. They've done it. Right, so I look at them as rare experts that we need to learn from. So, if you are that expert, like we, like Jeff and I said before, there's a massive number of people out there that are experts who are not heard, and we need to hear from them. So, if you are that person, if you know such a person, contact us. Healing at healthrevolution.org, the website, YouTube, anyway.
1: All right, Dr. Kumar, before we finish up, can you leave us with one last positive message?
0: Healing is possible. I'll say it again and again and again and again. Healing is possible. How many people have I seen in the ER that don't know that diabetes can be healed and reversed? The vast majority of diabetes is type 2. It can be healed and reversed, right? People have healed and reversed more than reversed, gone beyond, gone forward, gone through, gone beyond pretty much every diagnosis that apparently cannot be cured according to the textbooks. And guess what? The human architecture, the human system is far more intelligent than textbook. All right. I'm not saying our knowledge is not useful. I'm not saying to stop all treatments. I'm not saying any of that. I'm saying there is much more that is possible and there is much more knowledge than what we contain now in our modern society. And there's no doubt about that. And everybody knows that innately. And so healing is possible. Look into it, considering it, and see what happens.
1: Thank you for that message. And thank you again for being my guest. I wish you massive success with your podcast. Thank you, Jeff.